Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate this podcast is titled choosing leadership because that is what leadership is a choice In each episode I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership at the end i will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast and with that let's get started rosemary is the co-founder and chief product and commercial officer for wazoko which she co-founded almost 11 years ago in the interview rosemary shared her interesting journey from being a lawyer to a tech startup co-founder She had just joined the Founders Pledge to give a percentage of her proceeds to charity and she in the interview she shares her love for working together with people in person and adds that we are denying us something if we do not physically work together. Hi Rosemary, welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Hi, well thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. And to begin with, can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and what do you do? Sure, my name's Rosemary. I'm an American at this stage tech executive. I've been in London now for almost 11 years. I happen to luckily carry an Irish passport, so I have an EU passport and that's what brought me to London. I had a varied career, ended up in product and have been doing product work for approximately the last gosh, now I guess 25 years. And so 11 years ago I moved to London. I uh, co-founded a business called Wazoka and that's where I've been doing for the last 10 and a half years. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Can you share a bit of uh, a bit more of the background behind like the American living in London having an Irish passport? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I was originally raised in Massachusetts. I went to Carnegie Mellon a University and started out in the tech world as a technical writer. Uh, but I'd always had an intent to go to law school so after doing that for a little while I went to law school worked as a lawyer in the US for about 5 years decided I did not want to be a lawyer and tried a bunch of different things actually I I thought I wanted to go I was looking into going into the charity sector and worked for about 2 years between being a lawyer and getting full-time employment again did various things including working as a volunteer attorney for a organization addressing women and children's issues moved to California interestingly 
I was offered two opportunities. One was to go into a tech PR firm and one was to do HR consulting. And I thought I didn't want to go into tech, but that isn't what I wanted to do. So I took the other opportunity, decided that I really did miss it. And I, after about a year of doing HR consulting, I was at an event and I met someone who was the CEO of an HR software company. And I convinced him to hire me as their first product manager without actually really knowing what a product manager was. And so started that, did that for a while. I was involved with a couple of startups in the US and about 10 and a half, 11 years ago, made the decision to, I was able to get my Irish citizenship through my heritage. My grandparents were born in Ireland. So I decided now's the time to take advantage. And I came to the UK to check out the startup scene here. I really wanted to get involved in an early stage B2B startup. I met my co-founder. We hit it off. And after a month of being in London, kind of meeting with him and some other people, went back to the States, sold all my belongings, and 10 days later moved to the UK. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. And from your story, it looks like like giving back has always been a big motivator for you, like when you started as a lawyer also. Can you share a bit about that? Yes. So, and ultimately, it's something that is important to me. And hopefully in the future, I'll be able to do it more effectively. But particularly children and opportunities for children have always been really important to me. So, for example, when I was in California, joined an organization called CASA, which is Court Appointed Special Advocates. and Basically, what it is, they train volunteers. I happen to be a lawyer, but you don't have to be one to do this. They train volunteers to represent the interests of children who are in the foster care system. And so one of probably to date, probably one of the most important things I've done in my life is help an eight-year-old boy into forever home, um, particularly because in many respects, the system had given up. They thought he was too old to, to find a forever home. And I just child eight years old. So that's really important to me. And I've just joined an organization called Founders Pledge, where essentially what you do is you pledge to give a percentage of the proceeds from your, your startup, your scale up, once you have an exit, and then it can be, it gets given to charities. So I've just joined that. I've just made my pledge so that when I exit Wazoku, then a percentage of my proceeds from that will go to the charities of my choice, which is great. And they actually help you identify the most likely charities that will get the most benefit from your donation. So I'm really quite excited about that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. Like you say that making a difference to somebody's life was my biggest thing. So now coming to product management, entrepreneurship, where do these dots connect? Because it clearly shows that you very clearly care about making a difference. And is this something separate or is this also part of that like bigger passion or purpose? I think it's all related in some respects. So, so like the, the company that I'm with now was Oku. So we are an innovation management platform and we are about empowering people to make a difference in their business. So it is about giving people democratize. You know, we started with the idea of democratizing the workplace so that everything's not coming top down, it's coming bottom up, middle in, top down, middle in, bottom up, everything. And it is about helping give people voices 
So I think that although it's not in the same vein as some of the things I've done on my personal life, it is that same general concept. So what we do falls into that category. But also, I think importantly, as I've taken on a leadership role at the moment, I am responsible for ultimately our delivery team, which is our product management, our design, our QA, our software engineering, our infrastructure, and our customer team, which is our support team and our CS team. So our innovation consultants. And so all tall, that is roughly speaking about 50, 55 people. And a big part, again, is about giving each of those individuals the opportunity to reach their potential, whatever that might be. And everybody has different goals, different personal goals, different ambitions, but it's about how do you un unlock that for each individual? And how can I, as an individual, help that? But also how can I, as an executive in the business, make sure the business is supporting that and that we are supporting our employees and we are thinking about it, particularly now, post-pandemic and distributed teams and all of that, like how do you make sure you keep and you give people opportunities? Yeah, yeah. And before before I talk about leadership and that aspect, right, Spanish belt or entrepreneurship from a skill perspective is also very different from being a lawyer, right? So can you share I, how that journey was, that transition? Yeah. Actually, surprisingly, it's not that different in okay. some respects. So people listen to my story and they're like, I don't really see the path to where you got to. But at the end of the day, technical writing, which was my original, that was what my undergraduate degree was in, and that was my first job out of university, is all about taking information that, and technical is not necessarily, people usually think technical, they think code or what have you, but it is specific about a topic. Taking that information and being able to communicate to a layperson that information mm -hmm. in a way they can understand it. So I started there. The law and law school is about taking the law and very technical aspects of the law and communicating effectively why that law applies to a specific set of circumstances. So again, it is about taking very technical information and, and being able to put it in a way that people can understand it and apply that to a specific situation. And product is very much the same thing. It's about understanding the problem you're trying to solve, communicating how you're going to solve that in a way that's going to be helpful for the people using your product. So although they're very different in many respects, ultimately that underlying being able to take information, distill it, and get somebody who hasn't spent the time deeply in the topic understand what you're asking for. So I think it's, doesn't seem like a direct path, but I find it to be a much more direct path. Yeah, yeah. And is that a realization in hindsight or when you were making the shift, was that also something which you actually capitalized on? I think it is probably, if I'm honest, more a realization in hindsight. So I never actively thought I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. Or even actively thought when I got that first product job, oh, well, this is... I mean, I had its basic concept because when I was speaking to the CEO of the company, I said, well, I'm a lawyer by training. I'm a writer. So HR, because it was an HR software company, you need to understand the law because the law applies. 
So I was thinking, well, it applies in this specific context, but not so much because of the broader skills, but more, you know, this is it. But to me, it's also about, and I think that I go very much on instinct. I'm honest mm -hmm. about that. And what I take, what I consider to be educated risks. And so for me, I was like, well, to a degree, I have to be honest. I thought, well, I was a lawyer. I left the law. I didn't work for pay for two years while I decided what I wanted to do. I tried something. It wasn't right for me. So, and I'm still here. I'm still okay. I'm still doing the things that I want to be doing, enjoying the life I want to be enjoying. So I'll try this and see what happens. And then I did find that it probably is a bit of my passion because I really do enjoy building products. Um, so it took me a while, but I found it eventually. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I specifically asked that question because I do work with a lot of people who are either shifting careers or starting something new. And one of the mistakes that many people make is they think that they are starting from zero. While it's never that, right? Even if you come no. from a very different field, you still have skills or traits, behaviors, which you have learned, which you can actually capitalize on. So you're never starting from zero. And that actually leaves you less of like less of confidence and self-doubting yourself. While if you see that, what am I uniquely positioned to do because of my unique background? What value can I add? And if you can connect the dots, I think you are always better placed in whatever new start that you're making. Absolutely. It's advice I give a lot of people, certainly people who are earlier in their career, but also later in their career. I mean, I think that one of the biggest things that holds people back is fear. And I'm in a unique situation and I've always recognized that I'm single and I don't have children, which means the choices I make are about me and it's easier. Like, and I completely appreciate that. But I see too many people hold themselves back doing something they don't enjoy, being a bit unfulfilled in their work life because they're afraid to take that chance of doing something different. And Again, I think risks have to be educated risks. You have to understand what am I giving up and what am I gaining? But it's, I think to be truly fulfilled and to be truly happy in what you're doing, you have to be willing to take those risks. And it is about recognizing when you go to this new opportunity, you're bringing everything you've already done. You've learned things. And even if they're not directly applicable, you've learned how it can be basic things like how do I manage working with people of different personality types or different cultures, or how do I handle conflict? And I've learned all of that. And I'm now using it in a different context, but it doesn't matter. You're bringing all of that as opposed to that first job you got out of uni and you're like, I have no idea like what working even means or something like that. But I think what holds so many people back is that fear mm. and the, being uncomfortable. And yeah. I think if we're all accepting of, I'm going to be uncomfortable. It's a lot of times when I interview people and I've said, when I talk to them about why are you thinking of changing? What makes you interested in coming to work with us? And one of the things I will say is you need to be prepared to be uncomfortable because we are going to ask you to stretch yourself, are going to ask you to do something that maybe you're not used to doing. And you have to be okay with that because if you want to be comfortable, we're probably not the right environment. There's nothing wrong with that, but we're probably not the right environment for you. And that's where I think it, we all, as we are doing career shifts, having done it myself, that's where you have to decide how, how 
how uncomfortable am I willing to be? Yeah. So can you now can you share about that future, right? Given that relationship with fear that you have, what is that uncomfortable or ambitious future that you're seeing for yourself and for your organization? So for the organization, so we are a 10-year-old scale-up. And it's interesting, I was just reading something recently that it takes seven to 10 years for a startup to really start being successful. So I'm like, okay, yep, we've achieved that. And then it's another seven to 10 years to really take off. And I was like, wow, I didn't really think about that. So for me, it's how far can we push ourselves? The world is very different than it was three years ago, and it's affected our business. And things haven't gone quite exactly as we wanted. The economy is a bit of a challenge for us. So the macro environment is a little bit of a challenge for us. And, but it's like, how do we achieve the things we want to achieve, recognizing that things haven't gone exactly the way we wanted them to? So there's always a little bit of, of fear in that and stress in that. Like, can we do this? We're a bigger company now. We're roughly speaking 100 and 110 people. And one of the things that I feel a responsibility for is as a co-founder and as a member of the executive team, the decisions we make affect 100 people. And so that is a different way of me measuring risk mm. and measuring fear is a decision I make can affect a lot of people. And so you have to take that into account. But again, we have, you have to stay, keep that ambition. You have to say, well, there is, that is where we're trying to get to. That is the North Star we're trying to get to. And also looking back and going, okay, at different times over the last 10 years, we've had highs and lows. And what did we do? Because I think you learn more in your lows than you do in your highs. Because your lows is when you learn how committed are you to whatever you're doing? How are you going to handle an adverse situation? What reserves do you have? What, do you, what can you deep, dig deep into? And so we've had those lows and we have learned from them. And you never really want to go back to them. But it does help when, you, when things aren't going quite right to go, okay, we made it through it in the past. And what did we learn from that? And just don't keep mm -hmm. making the same mistakes, Yeah. but also recognize we will get past the low. As long as we stay focused, we don't just, one of the things I think as a business that I'm proud of is we've always tried to stay relatively lean. We didn't have a tendency. Some startups, they get a little bit of money in the bank and then they just spend. And that hasn't ever really been, our motto has always been, be smart about how you spend. And so I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. I'm not sure I'm answering your question, but yes. for me, that is, it is about managing that risk. But now looking at the risk, not just for me, but for the business as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned something interesting, right? That the responsibility of like hundred people, you earlier mentioned that you want to empower everybody and you care about, you clearly care about people, right? So yeah. what I want to ask you, does that show up as a burden or does it make a difference if you're leading a 20 people company versus a hundred people or maybe 200 in the future in your decision making in how you value um, interest? I, I don't think it's the number. It's the sense of responsibility. I don't, I, I think it's for me. I mean, now I look at it and it's like, when we were 10, I still felt a responsibility to the 10. Now we're a hundred. And so you're like, okay, that's 10 times as many people, but you do but what's also interesting, I think, is a company grows. First of all, you get older. Uh, but 
the average age of the company has also gotten older. So like when you're when we were first starting out, our average age was under 30. So you're like, okay, it's people earlier in their careers. Nobody had children. Most people weren't married. So again, people are a little bit more willing to take risks at that point in their life because they have less. Now we're an older company as where the company's older, but also our average age now is in our mid thirties. We have lots of people with children, like, and we like to celebrate things. And like this year in particular, and I don't know why it's like all the men are having children. Like very few of the women are having children, but we've had a number, we've had a number of babies. And so you just realize the scope is different, but the responsibility is the same. It affects more people and people are just in different points in their life. And you have to recognize that. And I suppose a lasting effect, I think, of the pandemic is because of that period, which really changed the way everybody viewed their lives, that it does, I think it, it makes you think about that responsibility differently than maybe it would have three years ago. Yeah. Given all of that, given the changes in the last three years and also the economic situation right now, what are some of those big challenges that you see for yourself, either personal or organizational in the near future? Yeah. So I think on the organizational side, so when the pandemic hit, we were doing recruiting during that period. And because we were in the pandemic and nobody was physically... So before the pandemic, we're essentially a UK business. Most people were based here in London. We then bought, at the very beginning of the pandemic, we bought a company that was based in the US. And so we, as part of that, uh, we got about six or seven employees, all based in the US. And then, and subsequently, we've purchased two other companies, one in Colombia, one in Denmark. And so we have employees in both Denmark and Colombia as well. But even within the UK, because it was the pandemic, we weren't physically located together. We started recruiting essentially anywhere. So I hired people in Northern Ireland, in other parts of the UK, Scotland, Northern England, and what have you. So now the pandemic is over, we're back in the office, but we no longer have, our nucleus is no longer just London, which means that we do spend less time together, physically collated, co-located in a space. I actually think that's a shame. I think humans crave physical proximity. The relationships you develop with people on screen versus physically located are different. And it's, it's a reflection that the world is different now and that's just something you have to accept. But one of the things that we do, for example, and this is happening for us next week, is we bring the entire business together once a year for our our new year starts, our new financial year starts April 1st. So we do our kickoff in April and we bring everybody physically to one location and we spend a few days getting ready for the year. So we're about to do that. And I think it's so critical because I'm seeing the strain of it right now where People don't know each other on a personal level because it is difficult to do that through a screen. We're a very multicultural team. We have with 100 people, I think we currently represent about 20 countries. So we have people from all over, different cultures, 
I was in an interview just yesterday and it was for a position in Columbia. And the interviewee asked me, how did I find working with Colombians? How was that? Which, and it is, a, they, it is a different culture than the UK. Denmark is a very different culture than the UK and the US is very different. So we have all of that and you try and do that as best you can on screen. But there is no substitute for having a cup of coffee or having lunch with somebody. And I think that is a challenge. I think it's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me personally. I like to be around people. I don't like working from home. Like I'm just one of those people. I'm like, nope, I, yeah. I want to leave my house every day and go to the office. Like I enjoy that. I enjoy the social interaction. So for, I think for personally for people, it's a challenge for different people. I think particularly what I worry about is people just starting out in their careers. I think they're missing something yeah. by not being able to be in an office, not being around people from different backgrounds, people from different parts of the business. So we have an open plan office. Everybody was all in one big room. Developers, salespeople, marketing, QA, product. Everybody was just, we've always just been together. There is something lost in that because even if you develop good relationships with your team, you're never going to just go, oh, I'm just going to call somebody on teams in the sales team just to say hello. You're, it's just not going to happen. Whereas you're both getting a cup of coffee, so you stop and have a chat. I think that's a challenge. And I think that we're not, I don't think yet we've figured out how to fix that and how to help people connect across the business, across functions in a more hybrid or remote way. And I think we are, we're better when we work together more. Like I, that is my view on that. I know it's not necessarily the most popular view, and I'm in no way suggesting that we should go back to five days a week in the office, eight to five, or I think that isn't what I'm suggesting, but I do think, I think we're denying something if we pretend that being physically together isn't good and important. That's, yeah, absolutely. I think the key word here is balance. Yes. But thank you for like openly sharing your view. And as you said, it might not be a popular one, but at the same time, it is very important that we express those opinions because if we keep them inside, they actually hurt us, but also the teams and the culture around us. Yeah. And uh, yes, I think it's uh, very important for leaders to say that we do not know what the future will look like in terms of work culture or how we will know, but at the same time working to, to navigate that. Yeah. And what do you think is the role of leaders now in shaping a lot of these, which normally we have called non-work discussions? So you can, you can talk to a meeting, like you can talk to a leader, like many times I interview a leader and it's all about revenues or growth or sales or something very specific, which is business focused. But then there now in the last three years, we have been like dealing with uh, mental health issues. We have been dealing with this work remote and hybrid, the new challenges that are present. There is this whole like gender bias that has become much more prominent in the last few years. Emotional intelligence, empathy, all of that has become much more mainstream. At the same time, how do you balance a leader's role with being responsible for, let's say, your product, like data, metrics, business accountabilities versus all of these elements 
which can maybe appear for, at first like a distraction, but then they can also be huge opportunities for any leader to actually show up as a leader, right? To make a difference beyond the organization, beyond their immediate team. So how do you reflect on that? Yeah, so I think it's, I think what's important is, and maybe it's because this is what we're selling. So it, we have to reflect that back in how we view our business. So our whole position as a business and what we're trying to do as a business is to say leaders can set high-level objectives, but what they have to do is they have to empower people to do that. And so, for example, now that we've grown up, we're like, we're no longer at the children's table. We're like teenagers and we're expected to be adults as a business. I think, so now I have a, I have seven directors who report to me and they're responsible for their various functions. And so for me, it's like, we can agree what our KPIs are. We can, and we can report on that and we can talk about those numbers, but I can actually take a step back now and not be focused on those numbers in the same way. So I can be, I can look at it more holistically and I can say, I'm seeing a conflict here. I'm seeing that these two teams are not working effectively together. I'm seeing that there's a stressor here that people don't feel they have enough transparency. I was talking to the director of product and design the other day and I said, the roadmap doesn't have enough transparency. So what I'm hearing, so one of the things I do for my team is, I used to do it quarterly, but frankly, the team's gotten too big. But I meet one-on-one -on -one with every member of my team at least twice a year. And I put it in, it's a very low-key, no set agenda. Like I don't want, and I tell everybody, I'm like, I don't want you to be nervous about this. He's like, this is an opportunity for me to connect with you on a personal level at least twice a year scheduled what's happening you can come to me at any time this is and it's for me to just check in how are you doing is there anything you want to ask we have a very transparent policy where we're like you can ask the exec team anything and we will do our absolute best to be honest and open with our answers yes obviously there's sometimes we can't say something yet but we try to be very open but i do this because it really gives me and i get huge insights I think that's my role now. My, that is my role because what will happen is I will talk to people. So for example, I was talking to somebody in my CS team and he was telling me how he had facilitated getting a product design review for our designer with one of his customers. And then after that, the designer said, hey, can we do a session just for you, I think you've got good insights. And he's like, I really enjoyed that. It's something that's in my background. I'd love to do more of that. So I can share that with the design team and say, here's an advocate for you. He's happy to connect you to customers. He's happy to connect you to, and to give you feedback. So I think you put in people, you give them the tools they need to be successful. And then you frankly, and I always tell this to my team, my role then is to get out of your way. Hey, because otherwise, you're going to keep doing things my way. And this, my wife, my way has gotten us to this point, and my way has, but I've hired the team. I've put, brought people in 
to take new, to get new opinions, to get new ways of working, to get, to figure this all out. And one of the things I always tell new managers is I said, the very most difficult thing you will have to learn as a manager is the difference between incorrect and different. So if I'm talking to somebody and they would, they're doing it differently than how I would do it, I need to just keep my mouth shut. Honestly and truly, I need to be like, that, that isn't the way I do it. I can think that, but I have to be like, but there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. It's just not yeah. how I would do it. Versus I think what you're doing is incorrect and it's not going to lead to a correct result. Now I need to be more vocal. But, and I think that's a hugely difficult thing for people to learn to do. It's so very important. I think that's what leaders have to learn to do. And, I, and I, there are times when I catch myself and I will start to say something. And I'm like, no. And I, I would acknowledge to whoever I'm talking to, I'm not going to, I'm going to stop now because this isn't my decision. It's your decision. And I need to stop telling you what my opinion is because it's going to influence you. And it's something I constantly work on. I think about every day. And I try and do it better. But it is, that's, I think, right now, and particularly with the changes in the way of working, different Again, different cultures. I'm not as, again, my, this is a semi-controversial opinion. I don't think that millennials or Gen Xs or whatever those we call it, the younger generations, I don't think they're actually fundamentally different than anybody else. I remember when I was started working out and people started working and people were like, oh, you don't want to, you don't want to work for it. You just want to get to this point. And they're saying the same thing. And I'm like, no, everybody's the same. The younger generations and the older generations, everybody, it's not that different. We need to stop thinking it is that different yeah. and just start saying, how do we effectively work together and how do we benefit? Because we do benefit. We benefit from having people, different generations, different cultures, different everything. But it is about, so now that's, I think, what an executive has to be thinking about. And you have to be an, a leader and you just have to get out of people's way. Yeah. Thank you. This is beautiful, right? Because we can talk about in abstract terms of, about diversity, about leadership, about equity. But I think what stood out for me is, is the difference versus correct. And many times I see these four words in the English language, good, bad, right and wrong, can be the most destructive because we impose our opinion of what is good, what is bad. Or, yes. And we do it for everything. We do it for people by those segmentations. We do it for tasks. And not see, and but when we do so, we do not see the person in front of us. We just see what we call as good or bad. And then because of that, we, and different is a wonderful reframe, right? So it's just different. It's not better or worse, or it's not good or bad. And that allows you to come together rather than stand aside, trying to convince or persuade or change each other. And exactly. So I love that yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that I, and I was interviewing somebody once and, we didn't end up, she didn't end up joining us. It just wasn't the right fit. But she did say to me, she's like, you taught me something. I'm going to take this away. Because one of the other things that I like to do with my direct reports is I'll say, what can I do to help you? Which everybody always asked. But the other question I say is I do their flip is, what would you like me to stop doing to help you? Because, but again, it is that recognition of just because they're not doing it the way I would do it. And so I want people to feel comfortable to say, I really wish you would stop doing that because it undermines something I'm trying to do or it confuses people because you say to do X and I'm telling you to do Y. 
and it didn't come to me immediately and it's something I've evolved over, but I do think it is about that. Differences are good and we have yeah. to embrace that. But that's where I think being uncomfortable is so important because differences are uncomfortable. Like mm -hmm. if, if you're like, but I know if we did it this way, it would, I know what would happen, but now you're doing it this way. I don't know what's going to happen. So now I'm going to move into a bit of being uncomfortable. And we all have a, a spectrum of how uncomfortable we're willing to be. I probably have a very high spectrum. I have a high, um, I have a high tolerance for risk. I have a high tolerance for being uncomfortable. And I recognize not everybody's there. And you have to work with that. But if we can embrace being a little uncomfortable, taking a little bit of a risk, yeah. I think we all benefit. Thank you for sharing that. I think what you shared were two wonderful questions. And many times we don't see that the role of a leader is to actually ask questions which open things up rather than close them down by like yeah. providing advice or guidance. So thank you for sharing that. And before we end, right, I'm sure we can continue to talk forever. Before we end, I want to ask you a question. Maybe put you a little bit in that space. So. Okay. So what is that one question, if you had the answer to, which would change everything? Um, I don't know. That's a really interesting question. I really, I don't, I'm going to lost it exactly. The one question that would change everything, in what respect? For you, I think for your, you can talk about it from a work context or maybe even a broader context. But a question which, if you had the answer to, that would change everything. I suppose I had the answer to what the next three years, like truly what the next three years are going to be, because I think there's so much happening in AI, for example, and everybody, I was in, in a conversation earlier this week with a bunch of women, part of a women networking group and AI, the concept of AI and you know, what ChatGPT and all the generative AI and all of this is doing and how it's, it scares people. It really scares people. And I think knowing really where that was going to go would, I think it would allow for a certain degree of calmness, both from a personal perspective. It's like, okay, I know how this is going to change my life. From a professional perspective, I know how it's going to change the business. I know how it's going to change the economy. So I think right now it's just understanding what is this, what is the level of step change with all of this AI that's happening? Because I actually, I believe it's an opportunity. I think it, I'm not particularly excited, if I'm honest, about AI writing novels or, I'm like, I think that there is something that the human touch is important for that. And yes, maybe it can help you do some research or that, and that's great, but I don't necessarily want to read AI generated works because at the end of the day, I think it's missing that whole feeling and emotion. But I also think, but if AI can help, help get rid of repetitive tasks so that I can actually focus my attention on where I can add value, where being, bringing my experience, my humanness to it can make a difference. But so I think that it's right now it's causing, I see it when you talk to people, it's causing, it's, and for some people it's causing excitement, for some people it's causing fear, but generally it's just the unknown. So knowing that I think would make huge differences because the decisions you would make would be entirely different. If you knew, because quite frankly, it, the way it has exploded at the moment came a bit out of nowhere. 
Yeah. Yes, it had been building up and things had been happening, but it has been a huge change. And so it is causing this fear. And if you could just remove that fear because you knew what was going to happen, I think it would bring a calmness to the world. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree. I think I would add only one extra dimension to that is, uh, yes, seeking certainty or seeking some level of clarity will help reduce that anxiety and fear. But there is another dimension of being human, which is just being okay with, with change. Right. So yes. being better equipped to manage change because such changes are going to happen in the future as well. So how do we make ourselves as a species more resilient so that even if I am excited, I don't lose out the person next to me who might be anxious. So even if I am anxious, I don't forget to ask for help because help is just one one conversation away always. And we forget that. Yeah. yeah. So it's also about that humanness that you mentioned, but also not just in seeking clarity or reducing the risk, but also how can we get better in dealing with what has happened, but with what will also continue to happen in the future as well. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So before we end, right, if anybody who wants to reach out to you, who is listening, what is the best way for them to do so? So they can certainly find me on LinkedIn or happy for people to reach out by email. It's just rosemarieatwazoki.com. And very happy for people to reach out. So those are probably the two easiest ways. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Rosemary, for this wonderful conversation and sharing your life and your perspectives on many things. And before we end, I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you, both personally as well as in your role as your organization grows into that teenage phase, which is, <laughs> I think, the most difficult phase for human beings, at least. Yeah. Well, thank you. It was great to talk to you. Same here. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Somit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved, and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.